Good to have you here. Come on, everybody, give a big cheer for being here this morning. If you had super, you can have a seat right there. You're wondering, what in the world are we doing now, Carl? You wanted to use that superhuman strength that you had. It's good to have you here today. Uh, we're in this series called Moving Mountains, Prayers That Change Everything. And I want you to just go there with me here for a moment. You've seen the news coming out of Afghanistan, correct? And I want you to know that we have credible sources, and I'm receiving word still this weekend, that Taliban soldiers are busting into homes of Afghan pilots and other collaborators that we had with U.S. forces for about a 20-year period, translators and the like, and they're busting into these homes, they're killing these people, and they're having their way with wives and daughters. That isn't rumor, that's real. An interesting statistic, though, about the Afghanis is that 65% of the entire population, get this now, is 25 years of age or younger. The median age in Afghanistan is 18 years of age. And what this means is that you've got 25%, excuse me, almost 67%, close to it, of Afghanis have never known what it is to be under the control of the Taliban. They have no clue. They've not had to wear burqas. They've not known what it is for anything except there's been plenty of hardship, but there's been the opportunity for young girls to be educated like young boys, and those things are evaporating quickly. By the end of this month, they can't even help themselves. By the end of this month, I can assure you, things are going to get fever pitch in Afghanistan. We need to be in prayer. The way I see it right now is there's three possible things that could happen here in the next few weeks. I think the Taliban could hold us hostage for many billions of dollars, attempting to garner all kinds of weaponry and or monies because they don't have a lot of money and they want to kill the poppy seed uh, inventory of Afghanistan, which supplies heroin globally, so it's a problem, but that's their biggest national product is poppy seeds, and Taliban doesn't want to have that. So they don't have a lot of money. They may hold us hostage for the estimated anywhere between five and 15,000 Americans that are not in the premises of the airport. Or I think, secondly, if they aren't overt, there will be a soft hostage crisis because it's not just the five to 15,000 Americans that are there, but then the many, many translators and I'll share with you in a moment what a man that I know has working knowledge of what's happening there says that the estimate of 60,000 interpreters, the estimate of 60,000 interpreters is really low. There's many more than that. So what's going to happen? We've made a lot of promises as a nation. Uh, this has been a debacle from beginning to end. But through prayer, God can move. So the third case scenario is, is the first is uh, a full buyout and we give pallet loads of cash to the Taliban to see our people freed that can't even get to the airport. And by the way, make no mistake about it, it's no accident that it's difficult to get to the airport. Come on. I guess the third scenario is really, really awful and we don't even want to imagine what that might be. 
that there's no hostages at all, that lives are truly at risk. I don't think they'd be that foolish on the global stage, but we're in perilous times. My heart breaks for those who will never escape the clutches of this evil. It really does. You know, I've found that as I do radio and I have a lot of news that comes my way, sometimes, do you ever notice that your heart almost gets, not hard, but it doesn't penetrate to the point where it's like you feel like I should be crying over this, but I, you don't? I'm crying over this one. This one got me. I spoke with a pastor friend who has it on good authority that house churches all across Afghanistan have been put on notice. They have actually had notices sent to them saying, we know who you are, we know where your churches are, and we'll deal with you in time. So before we go a minute further here in this service, I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. And I'm asking you to pray earnestly with me from your heart. Our Father in heaven, strengthen our brothers and sisters to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the strength of his might. Do you agree with me? And Father, I ask that you would call many more Afghan citizens to find peace in your arms of love. I want to ask, Lord, that signs and wonders would happen, that you would begin to visit men and women as you've been doing in the Middle East, that you would visit these precious people with visions and signs and wonders that would be so astoundingly supernatural that God millions would seek out the one true and living God and find peace in your arms. I pray that boldly. Holy Spirit, bring winds of revival around the world. And Father, I thank you and I pray biblically here, dispatch angels to battle demons, both seen and unseen. And I pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. I texted a few friends before I came to this meeting here today and I shared with Jim Coakley, one of our elders and a dear friend of mine who I, I just love his heart for the Lord. He poured his heart out to me before I got up here. He said, Carl, we just can't go through life. He said, my desire is to finish well. And that's my desire. You know, those of you that are here and those of you at 180 Homes and those of you around the world, you got a blessing in that you got an old guy standing here. And I tease about that, but I want to be very serious and tell you that it takes a certain amount of years to go through some of the kind of spiritual formation undulations where you get to a point where you realize this is what really matters and all the rest is just not that important. And I need to announce to you today, I am there. <laughs> I am there. Over the last year and a half, I feel like God's been putting me kind of over the target, as it were, for us as a church. And I've been over targets before. I've been to the mountaintop of ministry as the world sees it. I've been to the mountaintop in so many ways, and I've been through the valley, and I can tell you that sometimes it's the valley where God wants to show you the most. This is what I need you to know. If we're going to make a difference in this world and if there's going to be something different about us as a people, 
I'm glad that we are small and few because I look out here and I see mightily broken people and that's who God chooses. I see people that have come here in the last couple of weeks wondering why did God bring me here? Isn't that right? I see people that have maybe just walked down the street here today. I don't know if God will make this your home. I see people here that I haven't seen in a long while and we've got a lot of people that aren't here that are here and as soon as the dog days of summer are gone there will be a great chorus rising up in this place but if we're going to make a difference in this world there needs to be something different within us that is so different Dr. Samuel Naman is one of my heroes He's a colleague of Jim Coakley. He's a teacher at Moody Bible Institute, a professor. He's a brilliant man. He was born in Pakistan. And his story is amazing in that he was raised by a father who was a terrorist. A terrorist, and at a young age, Samuel's daddy was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Samuel's dad went from terrorist to full-blown follower of Jesus so much so that his dad had a threat against their home and the terrorists now that he had left came to him and said if you don't shut up about the gospel if you don't shut up your family's going to pay in short order Samuel's brother was assassinated by those terrorists killed when I see Samuel share that story and he's in my radio studio and I see tears begin to well up in his eyes, I see something else happening that is a passion that's coming out of him. And I said to him one day, I said, Samuel, where did this undying passion for making disciples come in your life? Where did it come? And he said, let me tell you where it came. It came in the craziest way. It came in two guys in a Ford van full of literature. I said, what? He said, Carl, when I was born again, I was born again at the age of nine, but I was very apathetic. He even leaves room that he maybe truly wasn't born again. And so he's raised in a Christian, now Pakistani home, doing kind of an underground church, but still he's apathetic. You can be apathetic in the most adverse situations. And Samuel went on to share that it was two men that looked unlike any other missionaries that were in that country at the time that blew his mind. You know what they were? They were two men that came from a little mission organization called Operation Mobilization. George Verwer, a, a, a guy that got trained right down here at Moody and he's still alive today. This guy's still alive. He should be pushing up daisies by now. He's so old. But I bring him on air and the guy's still a spark plug for Jesus. Well, George Verwer sent a couple of guys into Pakistan and they go over there and he didn't have much. He was just, he was all about making disciples. And so these two guys got in this Ford van filled with literature and they were just so convincing because they weren't about flash and they weren't about getting to church. They just wanted you to grow with Jesus. And Samuel saw their life and he said, I want that. He said they were dressed so poorly, Carl, that my mom, my mom had to go to a store and find these guys some clothes that they'd look halfway respectable as they went around those streets of Pakistan. We need something different to happen inside, something totally different, a different 
a different thing inside us. Something has to spark. We, we can no longer, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to expound on it from the word, we can no longer settle for church attendance. It ain't going to cut it. The major metrics that we measure, whether or not we're doing well or whether or not a speaker should get a platform, can no longer be nickels and noses. It can't be. I love nickels and noses. I love your noses, all of them. But your nickels and noses can only go so far. But Jesus Christ, through the unction of the Holy Spirit, can take us places that will cause our children, and yes, even our wayward children, to say, you're outliving me. Take me to your leader. This morning I want to talk about praying for mobilization. Praying for mobilization. And I'm going to be in a little passage of Scripture in Matthew 9. The narrative is in Luke as well. But I want you to look at Matthew 9, verses 35, all the way for about four verses there. But before we open those passages of Scripture, we're not going to put it up yet, guys. Not going to put it up yet. I want to wrestle with you about the issue of mobilization. And I want to go back to a message that I gave some months ago that Jim said to me. Boy, that was an important message for us. That must have taken you some time. It did. It took me a lot of hours. So I just want to grab a piece of this for those of you that weren't there and reshare it. I want you to wrestle with me about what is in the church today and what could be. And I want you to be honest to God with me on this one because I'm being honest with myself and I've been a pastor for a lot of years. But I want you to be honest with me and honest with yourself. And this won't be on the screen, but let me pour out my heart. What is, is go to church. What could be, is be the church. Anyone with me on this? What, what is, is go to church, and what could be, is be the church. See, the Greek term for church is ekklesia. It's found 114 times in the New Testament. And it's used in four distinct senses. The body of Christ worldwide, a given region, a local congregation, and the Lord's people assembled for worship. In home churches is the most dominant manifestation of the ecclesia in the scripture. This is not it. This is post-Constantine. He's the one about 300, four, well, closer to 500 years, 500 plus years A.D. He's the one that got up front, and it's not a problem. I'm going to tell you right now, yes, we can still meet together and we can grow and we can reach more people and have incredible celebrations than we must, but we got to have more than that. Because the early church didn't just have, let's get to church on Sunday. They didn't head out the door and telling their children, come on, we need to go to church. They said, we're going to be the church. And it's different. Home churches where people met together in small groups and lived out the very kind of model that Jesus put on display that changed the world. I'll get into that a little bit more. So what is and what could be? What is is, and I don't mean this in a bad way because I love the writer of Acts when I was first a leader early in the church and I would read through the book of Acts and saw that somebody was actually counting noses I'm like I love that guy I love nose counters those guys are great 3,000 were added to their number a couple thousand added to their number I love those guys but man that is not all that 
See, what is is measure nickels and noses, and what could be is measure making disciples. And why would we do this? Because in Matthew 28, this is what Jesus said. This is what he said to do. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. By the way, that deals a blow to the argument that it's baptismal regeneration. You baptize disciples. You don't baptize people to make them disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, these disciples, to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I've got a friend on radio that I'm going to refer to here in a moment, but I've got to give you one quote I hadn't even written down. He said this. He said, Carl, what we've done today in church planting, and he said, we've, we've produced it right here in America. And he says, I'm a Moody graduate, but what we put forward is a model of church planting, and he says it's not even in the Scriptures. He says disciple-making is in the Scriptures, he said Paul didn't go out to plant churches. He went out to make disciples, and as disciples were made, they got together in churches. It's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. And you might say, well, isn't that a semantic thing? Don't you go to a town, and wasn't he going to make churches? Yeah, but one is you go in, I'm setting up a church, I rented some space, I opened a building, Come on in, and we're going to make disciples. Paul said, no, I'm going into the city. I'm going to make disciples, and then we'll find space in someone's house, and when we outgrow that, we'll go to the synagogue. It's true. That's how it went down. Now, I know, and I've, re I've read this, and I've studied this, and it's so, it's so compelling to imagine a world where you're known and being known where you don't have to manage your sin anymore and cover it up, where you're actually getting victory over that thing that get, brings deep conviction on you. And you got brothers and sisters are around you that you're not trying to impress at all because that went away a long time ago and you're just there to love each other. More on that in a moment too. You're thinking more on all this stuff? How long are we going to be here? I just thought of that. I thought I'd keep saying more on that. You know, it's amazing. John Doerr is a guy that doesn't know Christ. I don't even know if he's ever heard of Jesus, but he wrote a great book called Measure What Matters. It's an inadvertent asset to the church. The business community's been using this like crazy, and they're using it really well to take companies from local companies to multinational companies. I got a son and daughter who love Door because they, you, if you're going to grow a company, if you're going to start a tech startup, you got to know what matters and measure that, or else you're never going to grow anything and your investors will be ticked off. We're measuring the wrong stuff in the church. I need you to hear me really quick. I need everyone dialed in as close as you can get to me right now. I know there's tired eyes in here. I get that. Last night was a late night for some of you. I need everyone to hear me. What matters most in the church is making disciples. And we've got to be brutal in asking the question, okay, these are the offerings and this is how many people's coming, but are we making disciples in the church?
So I want to show you out of Matthew 9, 35 and 36, something amazing. Jesus went, this is how he lived, throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now this is really cool. Be careful. Some people get derailed by this. They think, oh yeah, we got to have a healing ministry. I'm telling you right now, Jesus' healing ministry was predominantly linked to verifying his deity. Don't get hung up on magic tricks. The most magical thing Jesus said that the disciples should be blown away by is that their names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. That's the miracle. Now this is cool though. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he's doing all these miracles. And by the way, do I believe that God is validating his deity among people today? You better believe it. I've been reading uh, Samuel Lamont's new book called God of the Impossible. I've been reading myself to bed with it. It's a new trick to get rid of blue light. So to put down my blue light and, and get my eyes... The whole serotonin thing, you know all that? To get my head ready to go to sleep and conk out, I've been leaving my phone downstairs and I go up and I just open a good old-fashioned book. It's amazing. If you haven't seen one lately, they're awesome. They're awesome. <laughs> There's paper in there and everything, guys. It's amazing. You don't get near as ticked off at that as you do the news either. And I've been reading and I've been reading and I read one where a... A Muslim guy is praying and Jesus is coming to him and he's writing down all of 1 John verbatim, never seen a Bible before in his life and goes and seeks out someone that might know something of Jesus and he said, I've had this man coming to me and he's been having me write things down. He shows the missionary and the missionary's reading 1 John right there, the first couple of chapters. You can call, you go ahead and discount it all you want. D.L. Moody said that's to your own peril. <sighs> what mattered most to Jesus? I'm going to give you two quick things. One, Give people the best news ever and care for their needs. That's one. Let's just be really practical. That's what mattered to Jesus. Give them the best news ever, the gospel, and care for their needs. Bandage up their wounds and pray for healing and watch God move. Second thing I just want to give you quickly is have compassion for the pain and aimlessness in people. This is a big one. This is worth really talking about. If you haven't heard me say this, I want to say it now. The time for angry Christianity is gone. That self-righteous posture, I know what it is. I get ticked at politicians too, just like you. I watch the news and I want to throw stuff around the house. I do. I just want to be real honest with you. If you sat down in a small group with me and we watched some news together, you'd see me go, ah! 
throw stuff around, coasters. No, I don't throw coasters, but I've thought about it. But here's what I want you to know. Our Jesus looked at some of the most crazy stuff in the world and he had compassion. He didn't just teach the great commandment and the great commission. I need you to hear me right now. He lived it. You know, I've read parts of the Koran. I finally got it out of our home. I actually felt like there was something attached to that thing that wasn't a good vibe, so we shipped it out. Actually, didn't ship it out, threw it in the trash bin. But I was reading through the Koran to just get a feel for what in the world are these guys reading? That is the most crazily misogynistic stuff in the planet. The fact that the whole world isn't up in arms over it shows what a spiritual battle we are in. And how the God of this age has blinded people like crazy. If you've never read the Koran, I'd encourage you not to. It's so dark, but just know this. You get in a couple of pages and you're like, whoa. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And what he did when he lived with people was so beautiful. He wept over hurting people. He wept over lost people. He's an amazing Savior. So the things that mattered most to Jesus is give people the best news ever and care for their needs and have compassion for the pain and aimlessness in people. But we go on. Look at verse 37. Two verses that are just, whew, these are money. Then he said to his disciples, say disciples. That is weak. Say disciples. Good, that's a good word. He said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to give you three things. Break them down, and then we're going to pray this morning. The first is this. I want you to pray for mobilization today, and we're going to do this in this service. In just a little bit, we're going to do this. I want you to pray for mobilization, and this is how. The first one is this. That we'll see the potential. Yes, that we'll see the potential. I just want to appeal to you right now, and you can't do this in your own strength. We're going to see in just a moment, it's the Lord of the harvest that's going to bring up harvesters. So I need you to hear me. Nothing that I'm asking you to do, do I want you to bootstrap. Because when, you, when I say to you, then we'll see the potential, you go, oh yeah, I got to quit being an angry Christian. I got to start seeing potential. No, you'll fail every time. Only God's Spirit can save you. Only God's Spirit can sanctify you, meaning grow you up. Only God's Spirit can give you the ability to look at your enemies with compassion. But He can. He can. It's easy to see problems. Anyone can see problems. And I want to be very candid with you. Our country is losing its trust at home and its respect abroad. I believe that. I'm going to shoot it to you straight right now. Our country is losing its moorings in every possible way. 
Our trust at home is about down to nil. It's scary when the nation's leaders and even Congress itself is held in such disregard. That should terrify us, not delight us, no matter who's in office. Honor and valor in our nation today has been supplanted. That's a strong word for substitution. It means taken, ripped from, and something else promoted in place of. Honor and valor has been supplanted by image and cowardice. We are aimless, and our citizens feel it. We are fearful as a nation for the first time that I've been alive and our enemies can smell it. Our problem isn't political. Our problem is spiritual. We have a mushy, godless soul. And some of you hear what I just said right there and go, hear, hear, Pastor Carl. You preach it, man. Oh, but let me continue on. Judgment begins in God's house. If we want our cities to hear us, we need churches awakened to the grace of God that changed us. People must see God's kindness before they'll believe us and have a fair shot at repentance. Why? Because it was the kindness of God that led you to repentance. Where do we get off? being jerks in our culture today. How do we justify that? How many of you are glad here this morning that Jesus didn't bring you to himself by being a jerk to you? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the self-righteous spirits that are so intoxicating can't survive another day. And this is what I'm convinced of. When the people of God humbly seek the face of God, we will begin to experience the power of God. Our nation is in decline. We're on the ropes. In the flesh, I get scared to death for any kids my children may have. I get a little weak in the knees just thinking about my kids in their 50s, 60s, 70s. But this is what I want you to know. When the people of God humbly seek the face of God, we will begin to experience the power of God. And our nation is in decline, but a fully revived church can stem the tide. History proves it over and over again. So the first thing that we're called to pray in these little two verses is that we'll see the potential, not the problem. And the second thing is this, that we'll have the workers, oh, pray ye. I'm going King James Version on you here. This is how I won candy bars when I was a kid growing up in the church. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest. Raise up harvesters. So we need to pray that we'll have workers. Pray that we'll have workers. So here's the question. What are workers? Come on now. Uh, what are workers? 
And this is just called inductive Bible study here. And sometimes you got to reach outside these four verses, but you look around the text and you look at what Jesus was saying and you put together the beginning and the end. The great commandment, love the Lord, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors, yourself. There you see him looking at this city with compassion and all that, preaching the gospel. But then he says to his disciples, we need workers. But what he say in Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. You know, why don't we don't see God with us very often anymore in the church in America? Is that we're settling for attenders, not disciple makers. And I know, it's intoxicating, man. And I love it. And I was talking to one of the greatest disciple makers on the planet today. This is one of the humblest guys I know. Dr. David Nelm was on our radio show. I, got, I met him in the craziest way. Humble dude, former megachurch pastor in the Carolinas, now working with the Timothy Initiative. This year, they anticipate, by God's grace and power, they will plant 30,000 churches that are identifiable with a leader and a leadership core. You're like, come on, that ain't true. I said the same thing in my heart. That's a bunch of baloney. Turns out, it is true. How? What did Jesus ask the church to do? To go plant churches and send out flyers? I'm all into flyers. Did he say, get a mascot? No, but I, I know, I talked to Jesus. He digs Turner. He thinks the kids are going to love that. Did he, um, did he tell us that we got to really be so consumed with it? I know, I know the battle that you face. Man, I want to I get some people to church. And the goal sometimes for some of the ones that we love most in our life, if they just come back to church, and you know what, I've come to the point, that is a lame goal. Because I know that Jesus said many will say to me that are in churches every weekend at the end, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And those weren't the moderately in or out. Those are the ones that were very spiritually active. They were preaching in the name of Jesus, healing in the name of Jesus, and doing mighty works in his name. Matthew 7, look it up. I always thought the guys that are going to be disappointed at the end were with me, drinking Moose River Hummers at Chilkoot Charlie's and had been raised in church and got caught off guard. And they're slamming them back. And the end comes, and we go, whoa, oh, I love you. No, no, he says, I it was a foregone conclusion he didn't know me. Real question is, does he know you? And I love you enough to tell you the truth. What kind of a pastor would I be if I just sat up here and tried to talk you into something that maybe one or two of you, three of you in here don't even have? Oh, you know how to sing songs and you got self-righteousness down to a T. But when's the last time you humbly broke over your sin and fell to your knees in your bedroom and said, oh God, help me. greatest gift God's ever given me as a man is to see my own sin. 
What is a disciple? Good question. It means to have a leader and to be an apprentice of that leader. More specifically, it means to live like that leader. And disciple-making is to live and bring our lives into conformity by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your small group study material, into conformity with the Son of God and let Him really change our lives. Every aspect. How do we do this? I was telling my bride this morning, it's an amazing thing, but I didn't know why I wrote this book that I just, I'm getting done with. It's just, but I want to confess something to you, and it's a cool confession. I wrote this book to help me walk with Jesus. I didn't write it for you all. I wrote it for me. Didn't even know it. I was reading back what I wrote, and I'm like, these are your seven resolutions. This is how you see self-help end and God's power begin. It's the byline of the book. But it'll work for anyone. When you think about jumping through hoops for God and you transition to, no, I'm joining God. I'm not trying to impress him. I got nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose in Jesus Christ. How many of you are pumped about that? And then we go, all the things that I've been doing my whole life, it's because I've got stinking thinking. And then you realize the things that I'm thinking about tonight always seem to be lived out in my life tomorrow. What if God changed the way I think about who I am in Jesus? Oh, oh, what if I, what if I didn't just go content to have 95% commitment to Jesus? What if I gave him, hear me now, the biggest ugliest crap in my life and I humbly gave that to God and said God I'm going to believe you to do in me what I've tried for years to do in myself what would it be like for you to Quit trying to justify why you're trying to be friends to all these people, but you got friends around you that can't take you anywhere where you need to be going. And you're not even a friend maybe right now who's someone wants to hitch their wagon to, who wants to rock and roll with Jesus. All that can change. And then you begin to take risks because you don't dream dreams. See, for this book, I tried to develop a theological construct for dreaming big only to find out you can't do it. We're called to put our faith in Jesus. We're called to risk everything 
And then we're called by faith to walk into the wondrous glory of this adventure with him. I just gave you a little secret. I had a chapter in there called Dream Big, only to know after about 50 hours of intensive study, you have to do eisegesis, which is reading meaning into the text to build a construct about dreaming big. We don't dream big in Jesus. We're redeemed huge. And then he says, you follow me, and I'm going to take you on an adventure of a lifetime. You don't need to dream big. And Jesus was showing me over the last several years, focus your effort, do what I've called you to do, don't get derailed in all this other stuff. And oh, Carl, by the way, he showed me, I invented time redemption. I know you're going to all the pick and self-help dudes, but I've got better instruction on time redemption than all of them put together. There, you got the whole book. You see, making disciple makers is about becoming a disciple that allows the Lord to reorient and bring our lives in line with our master and our savior and our king. And his name's Jesus, man. He is awesome. So we need to be praying that we'll be workers because to pray any less would be to leave us out of one of the great parties on this planet and I don't want one of you left behind and some of you right now I'm feeling it in my heart might be saying oh Carl I've got compromise and sin in my life and if you knew some of the, oh come on I've heard it all I know you're a piece of work every one of you the most righteous among you. Sometimes the people that are in the deepest kimchi are the ones that shine the best on the outside, fake style. Third thing, pray that we'll be sent by God. Who does the sending? Is it a sending agency? It's what mission boards used to be called. Remember that, Jim? Sending agencies. Remember that, Gail? What sending agency are you going with? I'll tell you who the agent of sending is. The Holy Ghost, that's who's sending. Now, he might use overseas crusade, but baby, the agency who is sending is God. And I just, I just want to be so clear on this one. I need you to hear me. It's got to be Holy Spirit, power, or bust. I, I mean this right now. I need you to hear me. Some of you are really struggling with, I can't seem to get my life together. I need you to hear me. That is God's dinner bell for you to fall to your knees and go this. I can't seem to get my life together. I want to give you complete and total control. Oh, amazing stuff will happen. You know, I want to be really practical with you here because in the weeks ahead, you're going to hear us 
go after this. I, I shared with some guys for accountability purpose this morning on the way to church saying it's going to be a watershed time. And if you're listening now or seeing it later, my couple of brothers that are pretty high-stepping spiritual guys because they're genuinely humble, you can hold me to this. I asked David Nelms this question. I said, you know, David, I, I, I love, and I, and I unapologetically mean this, I love getting people together in a room and worshiping. Isn't there something about when, I can't wait till we're, everybody's back, we're triple the size and we're growing. I mean that. I'm looking forward to it. Not from a numbers thing, because that's, guys, we could fill this room 40 times over and never make a dent in this city. This, we've got to get a totally different mindset. If this is about filling a building, we're, we're toast. If this is about making disciples, now we're talking. But I love having this place filled up because there's something so good. This is why you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. And I know Jose and Shonda, they're at home with Angel and his family and a bunch of you at a 180 home right now. And when we get done, you're going to be singing your hearts out, let it rip, baby. Let me tell you something that we're going to do here at 180. And this comes back full circle to what I said. You need to be glad I'm an old guy. Because I don't know if I'd have learned this well enough in my 30s or 40s. <sighs> but I've learned it now. I want to give my children... And my children's children and your children and your neighbors. I want to give them something to follow. I don't want to give them a man that they see my passion for Jesus, but they see glaring duplicity in some areas by God's grace God's giving me massive freedom and I'm having victory galore but I want that sustained and growing even more don't you come on so we're going to pray I'm asking you to bow your head and David I'm asking you to get up here and just get on the guitar wherever you are right now I'm asking you to pray at homes and even overseas and I'm asking it to really be quiet in here just for a moment just be real quiet it's okay you can drop things too it's fine Just want every head bowed, even at homes right now, and eyes closed. There's no invitation. There's no hands in the air. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to th pray three specific things that we'll see the potential in the world around us. that we'll see potential in the world around us. Number two, that we'll have the workers that we need. And number three, that we'll be sent 
by God. That's what we're going to pray. I'm going to do something really different right now in this moment. We've got some prayers here that are going to go to the side walls of this auditorium. If you're here and you've been asked to do that by Dan, just if you've been asked to do that, go to the side walls right now. back to that last song that you sang and I'm just going to ask you to sing it over us. We're not going to join them in singing. We're just going to keep praying. But some of you in here right now are um, needing to do something that we talked about last week. And you need to just pray with one other person while we pray. The be bold. I'm asking you to be bold. This could be the biggest breakthrough that you ever have in your life. I'm asking you to be bold. If you need to pray with someone, now is the time. Right now, in just a moment here, we're going to start singing, and you're going to pray. Father, as we move into this moment, this time of prayer, I pray that there would be breakthrough galore in this room, that there would be people that would be set free, that there would be hope that would spring up. And I pray, Lord, more than anything, allow those that are within earshot right now to pray, not in our strength, but just talk to you like a friend and just say, oh God, come and move in power in my life. We'd be fully honest with everything, knowing that you know it from beginning to end. So, Father, I want to ask right now that we will see the potential in people around us right now. Give time for you to just pray that right now. Pray that you will see the potential around you. I'm asking you to repent of seeing only problems if you've got to do that. That means turn around. That's a fancy word for turn around. right now that we'll have the workers and I'm asking you to be one. Some of you are saying, Carl, are you kidding me? I barely know anything about the Bible. Oh, come under the tutelage of Jesus. He'll get you there. I'm asking you to pray right now that we'll have the workers and that you would be one. Pray right now. Come on, you got the courage. Pray that way. Don't you dare look at your deficits. Don't look at your shortcomings. Pray and ask God to make you a worker.
Amen. I want you to pray right now that we'll be sent by God and not in our own strength. This is the most freeing prayer you can pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to raise you and others up right now. Not your strength, God's strength. today, the work that you're doing in me, the work that you're doing in my bride right now in this season, how you're bringing us together around this, this calling of disciple making like never before. I love that, God. Father, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Let us reconnect with the love that we've left behind. In fact, I do want to ask this. No one's looking around, but I want you to be bold. If you're not sure that you're born again, but you want to be, you want to be God's kid, you aren't sure, but you want to be, just look up at me and wave at me right now, if that's you. Just look up and wave. I'll look all over here. Just look up and wave, if that's you. You aren't sure that you're born again, but boy, Carl, I want to know that God's going to bring me to himself at the end. I'll just look around here for a moment. Be bold. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the incredible people that are here this morning. Create in us a clean heart. Renew us through confession and help us even in this moment as we just move to a final song here. God, I just pray that those that will benefit from just saying, pray with me, that they'll get prayer. In Jesus' name.